When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I, I had a little brush up on your um, podcast. I had a quick listen earlier to um, a few of the episodes. It was really great. Nice. Which, which ones out of interest? A friend, Beth, who uh, is in a band called Litany. Well, she's got an artist called Litany, and she was she was telling me she was walking on a walk the other day with um, Black Honey. Oh yeah, Izzy. Izzy from Black Honey, and they were talking about how um, how appalling men in the music industry are, <laughs> <laughs> and, and what they could do about it. Um, so oh, that sounds about right. Yeah, it's fair. But enough. yeah, I, and and so that I saw Black Honey was one of your interviewees, so I, I listened to that one a bit, and I listened to the Happy Meal Limited one, which I thought was fascinating. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a fascinating guy. He was good though. I went to they were one of the last shows I went to in like February last year or something when they were on their tour, kinda of before all this kicked off. Great band live. I've actually never seen um which is a crime because we're very much of that kind of same crowd of people. And I've had lots of good things about their live show. Yeah, is that the kind of London scene type thing? I guess you could call it a London scene. <laughs> I guess there are some divisions in, in, in what you could possibly say was a scene in london there's obviously the river dividing north and south i don't know to, to be honest i'm i'm quite isolated in that respect i have some i have some great friends who are musicians and are in the music industry and people i can kind of have conversations with but i don't think that constitutes as a scene <laughs> do you know what i mean and I, I don't think yeah i don't think many people could claim to be part of a scene really when you break it down there's this venue in in south london called the windmill that houses a lot of of different artists that seem to be kind of coming from the same they seem to have the same tone at least in terms of you know a lot of that n- post-punk influenced stuff yeah and like your kind of shames and sports team and stuff your shames and your sports teams although i think sports team are not south london i think they're from cambridge or they went to cambridge or something or i don't yeah, think they're yeah, quite yeah. the kind of windmill south london uh thing that shame are necessarily and then there's obviously this it's almost like the fat white family of the zeus the thor of that <laughs> you know the, the, the og classics and <clears throat> i can't i can't claim to have ever um have a few friends who live down there and, and will do shows at the windmill and have been a, a sort of on the peripheries of that group of people but i can't claim to know any of those people or or, or really have much musical connection to that I, I, although i'm a fan of kind of post-punk and in in the in the way that i'm sure they are with you know the fall and so gang of four and 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 that whole area of music that you know we all love so much there's definitely a sort of uh, a zeitgeist almost it feels like to be influenced by that music at the moment which is not not really something i'm be particularly interested in so I, I feel a bit like not not out in the cold there but you know i don't i don't feel like i would ever deign to be a part of that scene you know even though i spend plenty of time in south london and going to see those shows and stuff as a band we're not very we wouldn't be in any way appropriate i think that's kind of what you want though i was getting interviewed by someone else a few weeks ago 
and I was they were asking about the way I kind of interact with the Scottish music scene. I was saying I kind of feel like it's a similar thing where I definitely interact with it a lot and communicate it, but I would never say that I'm a part of what's going on. Does yeah, that make sense? Yeah, I, I think you can attempt to kind of create a scene in one sense. I think early on with Flight, we we tried a little bit to get artists together because we, we, we had a few, you know, friends and people, label mates and, and people like that who we thought were great people. And, and there was this venue called the Moth Club in Hackney where we all lived and we, we put on a monthly night there called the Chasing Heaven Night. I don't know. It just didn't really take off. It just didn't. It was. It was really fun. And but they just were gigs. They just felt like they were shows with our friends on the lineup. And you know, it didn't really feel like it amassed to much more. Like beyond that. And it's so funny. We had plenty of friends who were, you know, artists or um, actors and other musicians. And and that's sort of how a scene should be formed in a way. Like lots of creative people hanging out. And and that is what was happening then but it just didn't feel like it, it felt like maybe there was too disparate a genre going on you know that we weren't all sounding the same for instance you know yeah you played palaces night as well didn't you mm. back in the day a few years ago yeah i did yeah and, and that's just because leo was a, a, a friend who i'd met many years before and i remember him coming to my flat once he was an actor then i remember him coming to my flat and saying i'd really love to at least he was pursuing acting professionally, and I think he decided to have a change of, to change the course of his, his life in a way because he'd had this band and he was just sort of sitting on it and thinking, shall I go for this? And he, he I remember him coming to to ask me. I'd only just started out coming to ask me, you know, if I had any advice, and I was like, oh, God, I don't have any fucking advice. I don't know what you sound like. You're a lovely person. I'm sure you're great. And then I think six months later or something, they they suddenly were just doing incredibly well. So yeah, it's funny that with with London that you can make as many interactions as you like, but I guess unless you've got a, a windmill style venue or you know the press come and cover you in a way and kind of say that you're a scene, then it feels like you're not quite a scene. That's another funny part of it, though, isn't it? The way that the kind of enemy or your dark or whatever still have this weird sort of power to some degree. They do. not power, but they kind of yeah. Once they, they recognise it, it becomes a thing. It's funny because I remember reading Enemy when I was at school and I was a you know, young teenager and feeling like Enemy was this quite exciting and informative thing to read. And it was quite glamorous. And, and you know, if, you know, a friend of a friend's band ended up having a tiny little piece in the Enemy. You're like, oh, my God, they've made it. <laughs> um, but now it seems like not not to do them down and not to do the music press down in general, but like it just doesn't feel like printed press and even online press, blogs, etc., really have as much impact on what people decide to listen to. I suppose, of course, because people are able to browse through music in so many different ways now. I don't think they do, and I think, but I think things like your KEXP, your audio tree or whatever, you know, these kind of live sessions that have sprung up, I think they've kind of taken the place of that. Absolutely, because it's just a quick way of watching, you're not reading about some band via someone's opinion of them, you're just seeing what they're like instantly there and then. Yeah, I remember hearing a quote once and it said, why would you take 10 minutes to read a review when you can listen to the song in three? <laughs> and it's like, yeah. I love that. Well, it, I guess it's two different types of people, isn't it? Two, two different types of um, listener. Some people need to have an opinion. Some don't. Yeah. I think the thing as well, when it comes to stuff like this, you know, we live in an era now where the first time in history, really, the spoken word is kind of more powerful than the written word. And it still feels like the music press haven't really caught up to that fully yet. For some reason. No, I mean, I did do Enemy or, or DIY or Dork or any of those people. Do they have podcasts? I suppose they probably do. Or maybe they don't. Only Dork do, I think. DIY did, and then they shut it down for some reason. Right. Um, well, it's down to I you then. Yeah. You know, and people <laughs> like you. Oh, I don't know if that's a wise... Uh, if I'm a wise person to put trust in. <laughs> I don't think anyone at the enemy was a wise person to put trust in either, so, you know. <laughs> no, I like uh, I like that Matt Wilkinson guy, though, who does uh, Beats 1 now. Yeah, I think absolutely. he was the kind of chief editor there for a while, wasn't he? Also, you're Scottish, you know? It's, it's, you've got a trustworthy voice. Everyone likes a Scottish accent. Everyone's going to kind of buy whatever you say, no matter what. I've noticed that with Americans. You always get the kind of comments from them or the messages or whatever, like, love the Scottish accent. I'm like, oh. <laughs> can they understand it i remember i remember being in the uk um sorry in the us and and they love any they love any they love an english accent obviously but even even more so a kind of you know 
a, a, a regional accent from England or a Scottish accent or a Welsh accent or an Irish accent because it's sort of they want to somehow latch on to the side of the oppressed and say that they're from that <laughs> side especially Scottish somehow they, they all want to be Scottish they've all seen Braveheart <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the heritage and the kind of family ancestry in America as well isn't it because they can trace it back so directly so everyone has like a fourth generation yeah. Italian or Scottish or Irish kind of ancestor and so I they have that kind of tangible that. connection to it yeah absolutely I fully understand that um that inclination, that need to do that too. It's almost like if you were um, an adopted um, child and you'd grown up with, a, you know, um, parents that weren't your biological parents, you'd be so fascinated to to, to eventually find out. I have a friend whose who's, who's, who's dad was adopted and and she'll never know. She They never know like where he's from, what his li- actual lineage is. Yeah. They've always speculated. Speculate, speculated about it my god <laughs> drank too much coffee um and and that may maybe is what it's like for americans you know they've just they're, they're, they're kind of orphans in a way that they, they don't hail from a, a place that's got you know a couple of millennia of origin story going on they have to pluck it from the old country there must be something kind of exciting about that as well though this yeah, kind exactly. of feeling of fresh opportunity and you can kind of forge your own path in a more direct way mm. it's funny though because you, uh, when we were chatting there, you made a reference to Fat White Family as, I think you call them the Zeus of the kind of, that little scene. Yeah. And your photography account is called Mount Olympus. Oh, yeah. Do you have a uh, thing for Greek history? Are you kind of, not Greek history, but Greek myths? Is that kind of a, an area of interest for you? Um, well, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was sort of a, like, an area of, area of, of obsession for me, because I definitely can get obsessed with stuff. I think everyone loves a bit of Greek mythology, don't they? I mean, I did, I did um, read the Odyssey, you know, when I was young and, and some Virgil and stuff like that and got into the deeper end of things at one point, but kind of forgot it all. But what really stuck with me was the, the early Greek myth, like children's books, because it just gives you everything. It just makes you realise, you know, they, they were one of many civilizations, but one of the really early ones that just sort of mapped out all the creation myths in one go. They just covered everything. It's really almost like scientifically, I was, I've been listening to the Stephen Fry, what's it called? Mythos, I think it's called. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been listening to the audiobook of that because so, I, I just miss him reading to me because I can't really do <laughs> Harry Potter anymore. Um, I thought, yeah, he used to narrate all them, didn't he? He did. And it's funny when I'm listening to Mythos. And Stephen Fry's narrating it. I'm just, I keep thinking, God, Harry Potter. I don't remember this bit in Harry Potter. And I have to <laughs> remind myself that I'm not actually listening to Harry Potter. Uh, but anyway, he, he, he's, he's kind of, um, he's kind of putting his slant on it, I think, more so than stuff I've, I've like read before concerning gr- Greek mythology stuff, um, where he, it, it's almost like they're kind of creating the foundation for a lot of scientific theory as well. You know, there's a lot of, linguistic links and sort of biological and almost like there's almost physics in there they kind of they had a lot of formative scientific stuff in their heads when they were putting these stories together it, yeah what you were saying there as well about you know the creation myths and it kind of mapped them out it kind of comes back to this idea of it's all maybe an innate thing isn't it this kind of inner search for some sort of higher power or whatever yeah and i i, I definitely at one point a few years back got very fascinated with religion and and, 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 and origin and I've forgotten the bloke's name now but there was a really early kind of version of Jesus I think it was an Egyptian god or it was around the time of the Egyptian civilization where it was it was a prophet and he was born of a virgin and his birthday was on the 25th of December and he was crucified and he was resurrected all these things and it's just like well so we have this innate storytelling we got this pattern that we repeat over and over again and probably have done way earlier than we even can map it back to where we just kept coming up with that same story over and over again. So there's obviously this sort of biological urge inside of us to, and I think it's to, I think it's dictated a lot by the stars and the moon. I think we were mapping things out with the stars when we were not settling as um, like early man. Um, so I think maybe the ideas, all the, all our fiction came from that initially or something. I don't know, but it's, I, I definitely got really not anti God in a way, but just Once really you start like, to unravel it, just, you start to unravel it and you just go, I mean, I was raised in a quite an atheist sort of household anyway with my dad. I, when I lived with my dad and he was a 
kind of Shakespearean like English teacher and and he and he taught at a, a college and he I remember him always being really annoyed and resentful of the the fact that there had to be church involved with it and and so I kind of had that in my veins a little bit but you know you read a little bit of um Daniel Dennett or you know uh, of Christopher Hitchens or something like that and you kind of go oh god there's a lot of vitriol against this sort of this anti-religious <laughs> thing which I definitely didn't get that on board with but it, it is such a fascinating thing to dig into isn't it yeah I hadn't heard what you were just saying there as well about the Egyptian guy who basically has the same story mm. that's interesting because yeah. I'd always presumed Jesus to have been a real person but his story had kind of just been accentuated and exaggerated a little bit but if what you're saying there is true that almost implies that it probably wasn't even really a thing it's probably just a regurgitated myth. Yeah, perhaps, or, or maybe we project that story. We projected that story onto this Jesus guy, you know. Or I don't know. Maybe it's true. I, I, I that lovely thing that you, the only conclusion you can come to is just, oh, I don't know. I don't fucking know, and you definitely don't. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, let's just let's have a nice chat about it and try not to come to any definite conclusions. Yeah, it's more interesting that way as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but anyway, music. Oh, and you were—the <laughs> you, segue that you were trying to do there was to talk about my photography account. Well, it's but, interesting to look at what we've just been speaking about, like you said, though, in the context of music. And that, do you ever notice that with your own songwriting? Do you notice kind of repeated patterns and stories coming back, or even characters? Because you're dealing with characters on this record in a slightly different way. Mm. Can you see them relating into a way that you've approached certain people before and certain ideas before? I think the only repeating ca- character is me really because I think any um and so I'm going to sort of talk on behalf of the guys too because you know they're, they're a really big part of the writing process although I think it's fair to, I think they would they would say I'm probably the the lyricist in the band I guess but yeah I think even though we do sing a lot about other people's stories and and we'll we'll be very explicit in in, in taking on someone else's narrative certainly in the first album we did that a great deal I realised kind of in hindsight always that, oh, I just projected my own story onto that story, you know, and just, and just said they and you and, you know, just, just, just took the, took the intimacy away and took it, took it off, off my table and put it on someone else's. But this, this new album that's coming out, I think I tried very hard to not do that. And it's really just me and I and you, and it's very personal. And I didn't want to try and offload my shit onto some fictional thing you know do you feel less vulnerable when you do what you did on the first time where you kind of take your story and dress it up in someone else's in a kind of way yeah i think so i think um i really look i I love that first album we did i don't have that thing where you know you look back and you shudder at your old work and and i mean although i do a little bit i if i listen i listened to that album for the first time in years actually not that long ago and my thought was Christ, we put a lot of work into that album. I can hear how, how much um, effort we put in, and then we did. And in a way, I think my like current taste at the moment would would maybe I'd much rather hear something that was that had had less work put into it, you know, and was much simpler and 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 more, um, I guess, spontaneous feeling, um, or at least had the the illusion of that. I want to hear the illusion of spontaneity and and rawness. But yeah, I, d- I do think. I, we were we were using it as a bit of a blanket, a little bit of a wall to hide behind, you know, other people's stories, lots of production, lots of parts, lots of cleverness. I I, I think we've stepped in the right direction with this new album, uh, and I and I want to do that even more on 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 the on the next one that we're sort of starting to make now, which is just to be just completely unfiltered and you know and 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 raw and naked, like properly laid bare yeah is that a progression though like do you think you could have made this album without doing the first one do you have to kind of become accustomed to being a songwriter and putting yourself on display in a slightly less vulnerable way first before you can do it with full conviction on this new record totally yeah it's like um having training wheels on you know having the having the bumpers up when you're bowling maybe on the first album a little bit and using the studio to to be those bumpers you know we're, we're actually demoing some new material at the moment and 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 to do that we're actually using a cassette recorder that's just got two channels on it so that we can only, we can't escape into the computer. We can't use plugins, you know, effects and all that kind of stuff. We have to, we have to just boil everything down to two tracks. And, and, and that 
that really really extreme version of limitation early on is actually I'm finding really really helpful and really healthy because it it stops you from procrastinating on a track it stops you from letting something get carried away my worry would be that you know that stops you from being able to explore and create all this extra color that you might be able to do if you you had more tools at you know you're exposed uh, more tools to kind of you know not get caught up on eqs and detail and stuff but you know go oh there's this new sound this is an exciting avenue we could quickly go down it's not like that it's actually it just makes you realize there are loads of exciting avenues we can do just here in the room with our faces <laughs> and our fingers <laughs> and you know there's loads of toys in this room you can there's plenty of knobs to twiddle and shit like that you know in this studio there's plenty to to do you don't have to go on the computer at all in fact i think that no screens are allowed in the studio at the moment you know not even phones and and i'm finding that way more liberating creatively than you know something like logic which is kind of infinite in terms of how much stuff you can do and therefore you do you do nothing that's funny because i was speaking to izzy we were saying at the start of this on a few weeks ago whatever and she said exactly the same thing Really? So they've kind of moved to a more stripped back form of recording because she doesn't want to have to deal with screens in the studio. Right. Well, just wants them out. Yeah. I see you, Izzy, and I'm with you. Solidarity. <laughs> <laughs> with what you were saying about doing that, where you kind of put the restraint before you go into the writing process and that you're doing it on this recorder and the limitations are there, how did that function for this album that's just coming out? Did you have to do it in a more conscious way throughout the process to keep it kind of more stripped down? Does that allow you to take your mind off it? You know, when you just you put it in from the get go. I, I didn't. I didn't need to to trick myself creatively into anything on this last album because I I really had to make this album because it was from a, it was a very personal one for me. It was quite a quite a big relationship had come to an end. It, it you know it was very dramatic and it hit me very hard. And when this this album this is really going to hurt. It's just it was written all in that time in a very short period of time. And I really didn't think about it. I just kind of felt it. And, it, and that's the first time for me as a writer, and I've written since I was 12 years old, it's the first time that that's ever actually happened to me, that it's just come out fast and unthinking and like it had to happen kind of thing. Does that change the catharsis of it? Does it kind of hit you all in the one go as a result of that? No, it was a long, drawn-out, painful process, even after even after finishing the writing. I mean, I think, you know, we all know that it doesn't just stop with when you've written the song, you then have to, you have to demo the song, you have to play it to people, you have to listen to it back, you have to ponder it, uh, you have to take it to a studio and try it out and, you know, work with a producer and and then you have to get it mixed and then maybe mixed again and then you have to master it and then you have to think about it for the music video and you know but and normally at that point you know somewhere along that line i completely forget what the song was about and it wouldn't really have much of an emotional impact on me you know but these songs they just keep bringing me back to that place and i have to say it's been quite an unpleasant experience really working on this album just because it just keeps pinging me back to that really dark spot i was in when i was making the album I'm looking forward to April 9th when it comes out because it's almost like maybe then it will kind of, I'll be free of it. <laughs> Do you think there's an event that could happen that would kind of give you power over that time and you would be able to kind of have control over it or is it always going to affect you in some way? Perhaps. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's a good question and uh, time will tell, I guess. Um, I know that when I've felt like I've come full circle with a song in the past, it's because it's been released and people have had time to listen to it and take it in and then we've you know done a great show and there's been a great audience and they've been singing the song back to us and i kind of in that moment in a way i can kind of let go and i'm i'm like oh okay these people kind of you know because you can see people are listening to it on online or whatever and you can see that people are buying the record maybe or even commenting underneath saying something nice but you know you don't really feel it until you see a big crowd of people singing a song back at you and you go oh okay this isn't my song anymore it's theirs I'm here to facilitate their ownership of it in this moment. So maybe when that happens with this new record, maybe then then there will be that catharsis, as you say. Do the moments you latch on to change when that happens? Like, do people res kind of catch on to a moment that you wouldn't see, that you maybe wouldn't have when you were in the process? Do the moments that really hit change? But you mean like maybe they kind of reimagine the song and change its meaning? Almost. Like, if there's perhaps like a certain section of it that maybe 
wasn't you know one of the main sections for you that really hit you hard in the studio but then when that happens in a live setting it seems to be the one that people really latch on to yeah does the song ever shift in that way it can do for sure or or maybe a song that you wasn't maybe your favorite you start to like it a lot more because you see that 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 is some people's favorite and they they really like it you definitely lose perspective on a song fairly quickly and you kind of have to rely on other people telling you they think it's good <laughs> for you to think it's good do you know what i mean i think people lie when they artists where where they're like i don't listen to her i don't read reviews or i don't listen to what other people say about me, my music and if i did i wouldn't take it in i think they're all full of shit because <laughs> you, you you have no clue what your thing you've made is you know not long after you've made it and so you absolutely have to rely on other people's who do you believe gaze. Who do you believe? I mean, you, you believe, um, I guess, uh, a globulous mass because you, you, if, if, you know, if just your mum really likes that song, but no one else really says anything, then, you know, maybe that's just a mum thing. But then, you know, you, you, you do realise what's working after a certain amount of time because you go, oh, okay, this is the one that people all seem to be listening to, you know. Yeah. I had Carlos, who used to play an interpol on the podcast a wee while back. Oh, wow. And... We we were talking about how at the centre of every kind of creative pursuit or creative project, there seems to be a question that you're trying to kind of answer. What do you feel the question was at the heart of the kind of creative process where this is really going to hurt? Yeah, I mean, I I would put it slightly differently in my case of, you know, and we've done this before and we've said this before, is is that, you know, um, you have to, and you don't realise this straight away, but you have to realise at some point making an album what the hell the point of the album is. You know, like, why are you making an album? I, I don't think, you know, sometimes there may be a band or an artist that is just a brilliant artist and it doesn't really matter what the content of the material is. You just want to hear them sing or you just want to hear them make that sound or be that band or be that artist or look that way, you know, or just repeat that same formula over and over again, maybe 10 times over and there you've got an album and that's enough. It doesn't really matter what it's about. But I, th- I think, well, certainly we have an... Uh, and, and, so many of the albums I love, they just have such a clear vision and such a clear point and such a specific reason for existing. And when you start making an album, I think initially you're just like, okay, what songs have we got on the table here? You know, how much more do we need to write before we've got an album? How do we change it up? Uh, you know, you start with just some some basic shit you know I, I i i don't think we've ever sat down and gone right okay this one's gonna be about death we're gonna make a whole album about death let's go you know you have to figure it out as you go but there's a point in which you know maybe a halfway in maybe a quarter of the way in maybe 90 percent of the way there you suddenly realize oh this is what the fucking album's about this is a breakup album you know or oh this is a this is this is a this is a, this album's about joy or you know this is um this is about england or you know this is about you know, COVID, you know, you, you suddenly realise it's about something or this is about alienation or, you know, OK Computer, you know, perfect example. It's, 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 it's so much about one thing somehow, even though maybe if you break it down, it's probably flitting off in lots of different directions. You get such strong, it's such a strong impression that this, the album's about, you know, the alienation of, you know, the modern age as it creeps up on you. And I don't know, I just, I think what was nice about this is really going to hurt was that we realized really early on, like we kind of knew straight away, Oh, this is what this is about. This is about getting through your breakup. And, and then, and and even more so than that, as we went along, we realized we were kind of covering almost chronologically all the different stages of a breakup too. You know, the really dark moment right at the beginning. And as it evolves, you're getting this sort of, resolution slowly coming towards you but whilst that's happening you're getting these horrible cocktails of you know jealousy and sadness and resentment and and fear and (laughs) loneliness you know it's all coming at you slowly and gradually and as that's happening the songs are forming so we realized this um this album actually almost was a sort of concept album of breaking up and we actually put the tracks as they were written in chronological order it's interesting to think about chronologically then because another slight tangent, I was reading an interview with Al- Alfred Hitchcock the other day and he was talking about Psycho and how the most violent act in the film is the shower scene that comes a third of the way in. 
And after that, for the rest of the film, that's kind of in the audience's mind, in their subconscious. And mm-hmm. that's why you don't need anything as violent again. Is that the same with an album? Can you feel the weight of the really dark tracks, you know, throughout, even after they've been? If you think about something like Under yeah. the Skin, do you feel the weight of that song for the rest of the album afterwards? Yeah, I love that analogy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't make the connection between that and Psycho because, as you say, it's just got that one act of violence and then the rest you just sort of, it's, it's the, you're living, living in the embers of that moment. Uh, and we just keep the act of violence going from start to finish. <laughs> <laughs> it's only it's only towards the kind of the final little closing few tracks that it really starts to abate. But yeah, I like that. That's that's true. And and yeah, and in a way, under the skin, yeah, it's a very big explosive moment. And then what follows is everyone's a winner, which is very, um, which is kind of like wading through the desolation of that explosion. You know, so I like that they do kind of talk to each other the songs. Um, everyone's a winner is still pretty dark as well because you've got yeah what's the what's the line it's like nothing everything's forever except and then you kind of list up a bunch <laughs> of dog you list everything. <laughs> yeah my fucking dog oh mate and the and the bedroom that we share and the friends who must choose which one of us they want to lose yeah it's really like it's really explicit um that song maybe more than the others it just doesn't try to be poetic in any way it's just sort of just bald-faced misery you could kind of look at them as the moments of violence if we're going on with that metaphor though the moments in the album when you do kind of just step out with the kind of usual poetry of your lyrics and just say something straight up there's another one you probably know the one i mean i think it's you strip me of everything i hate you i really do it's another moment like that where you're just the guard's completely down and you're just letting it out yeah that's true i i think um that's a school of thought i've had and we've all kind of agreed on for a while, actually, with the lyric side of things is that I guess they're like, well, you can be as poncy and poetic as you like, run off and do all that. But, you know, I don't know. I, I, like, here's it in practice. Like, I'm just going to try and write a shit lyric now in front of you. But like, you know, choose a room maybe you've been in and picture the what the colour of the curtains were and, you know, and what the what, what music was playing in the background and, you know, what city you're in. You know, those, those aspects, there's, there's a verse, you know, you can just, you can just, you can, you can paint all those details in a verse and then you can say, and I never really loved you. <laughs> you can just say that in, in, in amidst all that detail, you know what I mean? And then suddenly it's just so powerful because you're in a place, you're in a real place and it can even be imagined. But just to say that line on its own is, is, is might be powerful but it's not going to be enough if you just give people that detail you put them in a room and then you say that line then suddenly it's poetry if you know what i mean but really all you're doing is saying blank verse it's just which comes first i think probably the intention so what you're wanting to say like what was said in that room or maybe it all comes together or you know or maybe i'm full of shit maybe i don't know it just all it all comes out by accident or it comes really slowly and arduously It, it all totally depends but you know that's an interesting tactic to use and I think that's something that losing you does. It really says a lot of very specific detail. I can remember what I'm, I, I definitely can go straight back to all those places. I was feeling those things because I really explicitly explained the light in the hallway and the that hotel and it was in the on by the river and it was in the city and all these specific things. And then if you say enough of that stuff, eventually you can get away with saying, you strip me of everything and I hate you, I really do. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, it's just, it can be as simple as that. The whole song is almost kind of building up to that moment. You're exactly. kind of teeing us up. And, and, and that's, and in a way, that's a, an unacceptable lyric that I would feel, I, I wouldn't necessarily, if someone else had sung that lyric, I'd be like, mm, okay, okay. You want to say that line? Okay, sure. Uh, it's a little bit, it's a little bit brash. But you know, it's like, if you can, if you can earn it, I guess, by like, building up to it, building up to it, building up to it. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's another song on the album that's where the title of the song is love is an accident waiting to happen. And I just thought, God, that is a really gross shit lyric that that's so corny. And, but at the same time, that's kind of great. I don't think anyone's ever said that before. And, and so I, the whole time I was just like, right, how can we like earn that line? It's almost like keep on rocking in the free world, Neil Young. You know, that's an awful, horrible line, but it's fucking great because he actually is talking, you know, about these really visceral, brutal topics in the verse. And then he sings, keep on rocking the free world. And suddenly you're like, oh, that's a great line. It's all about context. There could be a sweetness about that song as well, though. 
love is an accident because you could also look at it as like falling into love as opposed to love being an inevitable car crash yeah and that's why it, it comes a little later in the album because it is very much post a breakup and it's and it's kind of i think it's coupled with trying to break your heart which is actually a really similar sentiment which is ba- it's basically someone saying you don't want to you don't want to muck in with me right now it's just gonna end badly you know it's like a it's like a warning to future partners yeah <laughs> <laughs> what we're saying with the little details as well though, that's something that kind of crops up in your photography too Oh yeah. Like you seem to have this eye for these little kind of moments that encapsulate something. Does dealing with them in your art enable you to kind of perceive them differently when they're happening? And you're kind of what and you're kind of looking out for them, you know? I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I love that you're talking about my pictures. I just do them for fun. I, I don't I didn't realize anyone ever actually saw them. <laughs> <laughs> um but I'm I'm I I love taking I always have loved taking pictures and I love Film is a huge passion of mine. I remember early on reading about Stanley Kubrick and how he was a photographer before he was a filmmaker. And, and he, yeah, I, I really have been obsessed with cinematography and photography and 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 cap- framing a moment in a specific way. And how how you frame an image is everything. You know, how zoomed in do you go on that foot? You know, or you know, or someone's eye, or like how if the person is placed to the left side of that frame, you know, what where now they belong differently in the story, or you know, all that kind of stuff. And I don't know. I guess. I guess there maybe. I, I just don't. I haven't thought about it. But yeah, maybe there's a direct link there to how um, I'd like to write lyrics too. Just detail, you know, and simple, clear and yeah. simple. I think it's interesting to look at a form of art that you also do where you're not putting pressure on yourself because that's when you kind of get the true expression. Yeah. And then when you search for that in the art that you're thinking about a lot, you can kind of see where it's coming from a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's why I enjoy doing it so much. It's just something I don't really think about. Um, And obviously music being my kind of quote unquote profession, you know, you do have to, you do have to put a lot of thought and effort into it. (laughs) Um, And, and, and with photography, it's just like a nice hobby for me. So I think, yeah, I mean, if I think about the pictures of mine I've taken that I like and I will post up, they're normally the ones that have very little in them. There's normally power of two or power of three and never anything more than that anything gets too busy i get quite upset and 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 that is very much how we do how we do the songs they have to be very very almost doric kind of to the point very blocky and i I don't ever want them to meander off in too many different directions i want it to be very very clear what this one song is and what it's trying to be and then you know if you want to try something else try it on a different song but do you ever have to reel yourself back in do you feel yourself kind of going down the rabbit hole and think, no, I've kind of got to pull myself back and definitely in the past, definitely in the past, I think. Um, and as a group of people, we would, we would, we would goad each other down the rabbit hole. You know, we created quite a warren for ourselves in the past. <laughs> um, I think in, in recent times we've, we've really understood, I think just getting older and, and getting like a little bit more experience. We've just realized what we are and what we're after and, and how to do it. Uh, not that we've like cracked any formula or anything, but we definitely we definitely have saved ourselves a lot of time in the last few years just by cutting to the chase. Which is, I guess, why I listened to the loved ones the other day and was just like, "Oh God, we were just trying to just cover so much ground. No wonder we nearly lost our minds making that album." Was this album a less stressful process or stressful in a different way? No, it wasn't stressful at all. It was just a lot of fun because it's, the funny thing is, writing it was obviously. St- stressful although it, i wouldn't say it was stressful i just say it was just sad and and actually making the songs was really fun because we'd 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 been on a long tour of across america it's like the first time we'd done a really big long american tour and we were just having a lot i think it was really helping me get over everything and i was just having a fun time again all of a sudden and from that we realized that america was a nice new chapter for us although we we felt different and we felt new and clean when we were over there um and and so we went at the beginning of last year to to la and recorded the album there so we were having a really fun sunshiny nice time which actually was kind of a good contrast to the misery of the content of the album because the the album in, in its essence really belonged in miserable rainy depressing london <laughs> and we'd taken it to this sunny lovely 
spot in California and and we were having a really nice time. And I like that. I can hear that actually, especially in the second half of the record. I can hear us having a lot of fun and we had some guest players. The guy from My Morning Jacket came and played piano on Trying to Break Your Heart and um guy from Beirut played the trumpet solo at the end of There's a Woman. And, and there were just a few nice little moments. It just felt like we were just letting off some steam finally and having a fun time after, you know, years of just quite like nose to the grindstone, paranoid, ang- anxious, ridden, anxiety-ridden creativity. <laughs> we finally were having a fun time and it took a horrible breakup to do that, I guess. It's interesting. We spoke a little bit about the chronology as well and how you assembled it, yeah, chronologically. The song I've Got a Girl, which kind of tackles a different sort of breakup, was that kind of happening in the midst of the other bigger breakup? Yeah, it was. It was okay. a real double whammy. Um, it was a really hard time for us. You know, We'd lost Sam as a, as a friend and as a band member. He really kind of went off grid. My relationship had ended just not long after and, you know, and John had lost his dad and it was just a really, and was also going through a breakup. It was a horrible time. And, and you know, um, I look at pictures of us from that time. I think we, it was like a summer tour we were doing and it was when we had Jess from the Staves filling in for Sam, which was, which was a nice experience playing with her. But I just look at pictures of us then and we just all looked so tired and upset, <laughs> you know. And Jess and her sisters had had, a really difficult time too, actually. So it's actually no wonder we'd found each other in that at that time. Um, but yeah, uh, the the I've got a girl was very much about Sam leaving the band, um, and good for a second to leave the romantic sphere of breaking up and and talk about breaking up with a friend for a second. That's um, quite depressing, though, isn't it? That you feel <laughs> like you need to get out of the kind of other breakup, and so you turn to, to another go one. Go to another one. Go to another <laughs> one. Um, but interesting that track because it's a breakup that we all shared. You know, it wasn't my friends, you know, having my back for my thing, it was all of us together sharing in this breakup. And, you know, I think you can hear us. We we got quite, um, we were working on another song, I think, and it wasn't working for us and we were quite frustrated. And I think we just had a drink and I think maybe we had a smoke. So we were quite pissed and stoned and it was very late at night and we got back in the studio and we had this song sitting around and, and we just, I think... I think we just really bashed that one out quickly and had a fun time doing it. And it was like, hey, we don't need Sam. This is good. This is a good fun time. So that that was a really nice bit of catharsis in the moment, actually. It feels a lot more visceral than a lot of the other songs in the album. It's very yeah. in the moment. Yeah, yeah. And I think maybe for that, for the reason I just gave you, maybe it's, it's just it was the environment we were in when we were making it. But we actually took that song to LA, having started it in England, and did some extra work on it with Justin Raisin, who's a great producer. And he, I don't know how much we kept from that session, but he definitely rejuvenated it for us, just gave it that extra little bit of colour. There's a really big fuzz guitar, which I remember thinking was like, that sounds, that seems a bit inappropriate. But we put it on and it was just a big fuzz guitar and it just, and it really lends this big oomph to the front of the bar. It's like a boom, da, 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 boom, da, boom, da, 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 da. It's like a slightly funny time signature. Uh, so to accentuate that time signature on the, on the downbeat, with this big shum, da, 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 fuzz guitar. Changes the momentum um, of it. It pushes a lot of the momentum in that way. And I think we had other parts in there that um, were shifting the momentum and, and, and giving you different options for, you know, where the front of the bar lands. And uh, Andrew Sala, who was mixing the album, I remember him just muting pretty much everything and just leaving it down to those core elements and, and being like, no, it all falls on the one like that. So it feels like a big, uh, just heavy elephant just kind of clumping forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so um, you know, lots of extra influence after that. But yeah, I think there's an essence, there's a core in that song that, um, yeah, just feels, yeah, visceral, as you put it, is a good word to use. At what point did you kind of settle into the new dynamic following that departure? At what point did you manage to get back into, because I imagine it's a different groove now as opposed to previously. Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, I actually prefer being in a three-piece to a four-piece. I think there's more room for everyone. Uh, Sam was a piano player like first and foremost and he would um you know piano takes up a lot of room uh, it doesn't leave a, a lot of breathing space and so if you take take that out take keys out of the equation you even take the extra voice out it, it just makes you it gives you more space and it kind of forces you to be more creative with what you've got on the table and it's funny like john and, and, and nick and i we go back to when we were children you know we've known each other most of our lives and sam actually was a new he was the first he, he was the last one to join first one to to leave I suppose in that sense you know we met him in London and 
and he brought in a really interesting different dynamic but him leaving actually just it did kind of just make us kind of go oh god we are just this unbreakable bond here this is not going anywhere yeah it, it really made it really strengthened things up it wasn't too much of a it certainly wasn't didn't feel like a creative blow and actually psychologically it felt like a bit of a relief because i think when someone wants to leave a situation you can really feel it from them can't you it's like yeah and like if it, if someone wants to break up with you you know you can feel it a few months before maybe a few years before that it actually happened and and it's always just a bit of a relief when it does finally happen because it's just like oh well it, at least i've got that tension does the tension go straight away or is it kind of fade away gradually? Well, it certainly it felt like it did for us. If it, it didn't, um, it didn't feel like there wasn't a moment where we were like, "Fuck, what are we going to do?" We're buggered. It, it didn't feel like that. It just kind of felt like a bit of a relief, actually. Even though it was a bit annoying. Yeah, it's <laughs> a like, tough oh, one. It's a tough one, isn't it? Because you've obviously got a lot of happy memories there, but there comes a point when it's been going down that kind of path for a while. Yeah. By the time it actually gets to the the event it, it does feel like you say a relief it's weird yeah and you know what's the funny one about that actually the white roses ep which we put out in 2019 that was when he was leaving he was like he was kind of foot out the door then and there were three tracks on that ep that we did whilst he was with us even though we kind of finished them i think finished them off after he'd left but there's a fourth track on there called sometimes and that track for me is my it's my favourite on that EP because it's actually the sound of it's the first thing we made after he'd just left and we put it together super fast and it actually sounds like a lot more where we've gone to. You get that feeling of kind of uncharted territory as well, don't you? And you only get that once. Yeah, you do. Or, you, or with yeah, that, before, once you know, with right, that specific you, experience. Yeah. yeah, before you start kind of getting used to the to whatever the new thing is, for sure. I think we were just at the end of a relationship together and I think when things are at the end there's just that little moment where things are feeling a bit tired. And so it's just, it's, it's, it's that you get a little bit of a springboard onto whatever the next, the new thing is, because you're excited to suddenly not yeah. be in that place anymore. But yeah. With the fact that the album, you know, concerns these two breakups, a lot of it almost feels like it's writing at something or at someone. If you know what I mean, it's, it's directed towards someone, the emotions of it. Is it easier to channel them if you are writing at something in that way? And you have something to kind of focus them on and channel them toward? I think that's just kind of the way it naturally came out. But you know what? I think more often than not, when it's being channeled at someone, it's normally being channeled at myself. That may have just been a bit of a poetic license thing where I maybe was just like, I think it's not actually that enjoyable listening to someone berate themselves. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm this, I'm this, I'm crap. You know, and a song is maybe better than... Not that you're just put it pointing that in another direction either, but it's interesting bringing someone else into the equation and like offloading stuff on, on a second party and kind of putting it back on you and having somewhere to go back and forth. Yeah. I mean, it kind of comes back to the idea we're speaking about as well with the first record where you would write about yourself through other people. Yeah. Some kind of strategy. Yeah. And this is the interesting thing. I, I, I think I got 90% of the way there in terms of being able to really be brave enough to completely put it all on myself. I'm hoping that hundred percent will be on the next record. <laughs> When you have such a weight upon the lyrics, the, actually, the lyrics have arrived kind of fully formed, or do you sculpt them over time? Before we kind of get into this next bit, I'm a sculpt. I'm a real sculptor. I love to. I love to. Um, I mean, I, sometimes the, the the words come out fast. Sometimes they come out slowly. But if they come out fast, I normally like to tinker around a little bit, um, do a few extra layers of paint. Are you the same yeah. with melody? Can you sculpt that, or does it have to arrive fully formed? Yeah, no, we do a lot of sculpting across the board with everything. We leave no stone unturned. I really enjoy that process. I find it quite satisfying, uh, quite soothing almost. I mean, the, the, we're, the guys are great at just, co- you know, coming up with some instantly pleasing things. But naturally, you know, as you play round and round a song, things will just evolve and eventually set. But there's, there's that nice kind of exciting moment where things are yet to set and, and there's, there's still opportunities to be like, oh, what happens if you just shift that inversion there? Or if you, let's, what if we change the key or, you know, or let's see, see what it's like really slow or really fast or, you know, just trying out stuff because it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> when, when you're sculpting in that way, does it feel like you're completely in control and you're the one moving it or are you almost chasing something or trying to reel something in? That's a really good question. I, I don't know. Depends. Depends how um, deep the water you're in is. <laughs> Whenever you can, put yourself in the deepest water possible, you know, because the best stuff is is often found when you're really out of your comfort zone. I mean, that's such a 
cliche to say that it's been said so many times before, but it's true. Definitely put yourself in, you know, sometimes we'll swap around instruments, you know, put John on the bass or guitar or piano or something and Nick will go on the drums and, and suddenly we're being challenged in a way, you know. I think I read somewhere that R.E.M. did that on one of their really big albums. They, Everyone they swapped. all just swapped wow. instruments. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. And obviously that creates, you know, everyone's got a different view all of a sudden. Yeah. When you return back to your own instrument, is it different as well? Because you've had that perspective from someone else's point of view. Yeah. Or you might go back to your own instrument to play the part that someone's just written for you, <laughs> you know, and then you learn something from them because they've written something in a way you wouldn't have. It's a really good exercise for any bands listening. That's always advisable. I imagine it strengthens the kind of chemistry between you as well yeah absolutely and it's so funny the 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 only time we ever have tension between us if we do which isn't that often it's because we're not we've not been playing together and the minute we we are playing together it just all goes away because that's just that it's just that language we we can you know because we're ultimately stunt emotionally stunted um you know guys and that's what brought you together though the fact that you can communicate together in that space in a way that yeah. you really can out with yeah yeah because we we met when we were little kids and you don't really talk about anything when you're little kids not of any particular substance you just want to like watch fucking saw or like play a computer <laughs> game you know or like shoot bb guns in each other's faces um and 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 for us it was it was like figuring out how to play these instruments and figuring out how to write when I think back to how young we were and we were writing a lot of music together, 13, 14, I think we were making our own little crappy albums after school and stuff. And, 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 and that's a really nice formative way of making friends with, of like, you know, making friends with people at that age, teenage friendships is having a medium like music to actually make those, forge those friendships. So funnily, funnily enough now, now we're, we're kind of adults, I suppose we could call ourselves that we still have that, you know, that's not changed. We, if we, we didn't play music together, I'm sure we would still be friends, but you know, would we, you know, that's the, because that's how we've, that's how we're friends. Yeah. Do you keep in touch with anyone else from school? No. Yeah. You probably wouldn't. <laughs> I don't, well, I don't, I don't keep in touch with anyone else from school because the minute I started being in a band, I just sort of stopped being friends with everyone and just like, I'm in a band now. That's what I do. I just fell in <laughs> love with it so much. I, don't, I think everyone was just like, oh God, I think he's a bit one track at the moment. I don't think it's worth hanging about being friends with him anymore. I think that's a fulfillment that very few people manage to find though. And even if when you are starting to navigate it, it can be tough long term. Mm. Much more of a net positive than it is a net negative. Even if it maybe impacts your life in a bit of a kind of brutal way when it first comes in and you're obsessed with it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, my only worry about that is that, you know, it's here we go as well. Like, do we actually talk about things in an emotional way to each other? Or are we, I, I wouldn't say we are, like in real life, very articulate with each other about how we're feeling. Because we, we've learned to do it through the music instead. So in real life, actually, when it comes to it, we're quite crap. Do you think you need to, though, if you can do it through the music? No, perhaps not. Although it might make it easier to to make the music you know, get straight to the point if we've actually been able to discuss it beforehand. But maybe that would be a waste, you know? Maybe if we'd actually got it all out and, and talked about how we felt to each other in the pub or whatever, then it would have all dissipated there in that pub. We wouldn't be able to take it back to the studio. Yeah, you're kind of cutting off part of the process. Yeah, exactly. You're cutting Save off it. the release. Save yeah. it for the music. Shut up. <laughs> get pissed and shut up. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned though, that you started off at like 13, 14 or whatever and you were already writing songs because Never Get to Heaven, that was... You were kind of age 14 when that first came out, right? Or you first started working on that idea? Uh, it, it never came out, not until now. Um, oh, not came out, sorry, I mean it, it came out of you. Oh, I see, yeah. came out of my face. Um, <laughs> it was, yeah, I was about 14. Yeah, I remember I was about that age because I was, I think I'd gone on holiday with my girlfriend and her family to Devon. I think in my head, I didn't even say it out loud, but we were like lost trying to get there or something. And I was singing, you'll never get to Devon and da 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 in my head I thought it was quite funny I was like why am I seeing that and, I remi and it reminded me that there was this song that we sang in this, that I'd sang like when my brief time in the Scouts I don't think it was even Scouts I think it was called Beavers nice kind this of is like ages four, you, five to eight yeah exactly like super young and um, I just remember that being one of the, the these campfire songs You'll Never Get to Heaven and then I just kind of started singing that around in my head um, but yeah I remember of that song coming there and then on that holiday I think maybe being a bit bored hanging out with my girlfriend's parents. Do you record it at that point? 
No, I don't, I don't think I would have had the means of recording it because I didn't have a phone with an iPhone memo on and I didn't, hadn't brought like a little demoing rig with me. So I think I was just must have been singing it around in my head and just remembering it. Fucking hell, can you imagine that? <laughs> that would drive you insane. <laughs> Carrying something in your brain <laughs> without putting it down. I mean, like, I, I don't know how people before voice memos ever re- remembered or wrote a song. I think McCartney used to do, say that though, didn't he? That he would, if it was a good idea, he would just remember it. But then, no, that must be bullshit, because didn't he have to write down yesterday as soon as he came up with it? Yeah, I mean, he must have f- forgotten a lot of really great shit as well, probably. That's Bet a good point. Bet we'd have a lot more good Beatles music. great stuff out there if, it were, if they had iPhones. I mean, then. if there's one thing to be said about the Beatles, they don't have enough good songs, if you ask me. I know, well, they were a bit light, weren't they? <laughs> yeah, they nearly had a good body of work, but they just... They <laughs> just just a little bit short. Missed it. Yeah, it felt a little short. <laughs> Oh God, we could talk. I, we actually, we've been asked to to to, to go on a, a a podcast that um that that where you just talk about one thing, you know, like the one one of your your big inspiration thing, and um, I was like, oh, fuck, I don't know what that's going to be, and I was like, oh, it can't be the Beatles, <laughs> but if it was, it would be great. <laughs> I'd love to talk for hours about the Beatles. Wait, so did they give you the topic? <laughs> no, no, you got to fucking pick it yourself. Go wings. Go a little bit alternative. Yeah, yeah, only the band the Beatles could have been. <laughs> no, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for something hoity-toity in some book or something, film. Yeah, um, but but I, I bet there are Beatles podcasts out there where I could, I could get really indulgent. Hop on, yeah. Or maybe we just wasted a lot. We've wasted a full hour here talking about my stupid album. We should have just been talking about, about the Beatles the whole time. Well, to come back to never get to heaven quickly, though. Yeah. How did you? Oh, yeah, how did you actually get that down, though? Like, how did you keep a hold of it for the last ten years or whatever? Well, I mean, I, I I did eventually get home from that holiday, and I think I recorded it on in some way or another. I think my my dad had a copy of it because I would played it. I don't know. I'd done some rudimentary recording of it basically, and um, and I think my because my dad was a an English teacher, and he and he had he had this class. He would really embarrassingly play a lot of my music too. Like when they were coming in, be like, "That's my son's band," <laughs> um, and as embarrassing and like harrowing as that is, funnily enough, now like all the way down the line, I, I bump into people or people come to my shows and say, "Like, um, I was introduced to your stuff by your dad. Like, he taught me English, <laughs> and, he, and like, there's that song, Never Get to Heaven.' I remember like years ago that I remember he played us all, and we used to love that song. We used to ask him to play it all the time, and it was it was encounters like that that made me kind of really remember that song and go, oh, maybe it was a good song. We kind of resurrected it. And in fact, we tried to resurrect it a few times, I think, over the years of, of being flight. And um, it just never felt like it fitted in or, I don't know, it just felt like suddenly was the perfect album to put it, put that song at the end as this sort of little epilogue, little eulogy. Because obviously it's got nothing to do with the, the breakup or anything like that, but it just suddenly felt like it maybe did. Thematically, it's right. It sounds right, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> we can pretend like we, we didn't dig it off the shelf. Do you have anything from where, from like back then when you were 14 in the album book that kind of relates to Never Get to Heaven? Did you manage to find any kind of pages or anything from a notebook? No, I think I, I, I think it, it was I was mackering it back then. Just had it all in my head. What uh, What is the kind of earliest thing in the album book? What's the kind of Is it all kind of taken from the period in which the record was formed? Or have you managed to dive back in to find stuff that's relevant from a way bit longer back? Or Well, losing you. Losing You, which seems like the most um, present and like most relevant song on the album in a way, was actually written uh, about actually when that relationship had, that I was writing about had ended temporarily, maybe six, seven years previous. Then suddenly it felt really relevant again and brought it back and used that one. So that was really old, that one. So the relationship ended and then returned? We got back together, yeah. Ah, okay. It was, it, was, it was really like directed at her. Uh, that song at that time I wrote it and then and then this time around it I really it was I really directed it at me yeah, it completely flipped so yeah and I tried changing the the me's to use the use to me's it didn't quite work so I just had to keep it that way but yeah it just felt really weirdly relevant that's another interesting thing about this record is that though I don't think there's any name checking on it the whole way through in a way which the first album kind of I think Almost half the songs, I think, kind of had names in the tile. Yeah, well, that was the idea of the first album. It was, it was like it was supposed to be. A, we said it, said kind of whilst making it that this should feel like a book that was about all these this cast of characters, all these different people: Kathy and Archie and Victoria and very classical names as well. 
quite kind of timeless or a little bit vintage maybe yeah annie and alistair annie and alistair was it was a was um code for aa so about the 12-step program so sundays and mondays with annie and alistair as in going to AA on sunday and monday um and then weirdly as well there was annie and alistair were two a and r's at island records our record company who would get together on Sundays and Mondays to listen to the, <laughs> so they were like, is this about us? That's so weird. Um, but yeah, they were, they were, um, there was, there's another one with a name on it, isn't there? If I've forgotten. What, what did we say? Kathy, not. Archie, Annie. And yeah, Alistair. no, you're right. Like 50% of them have got Is that five or six of I think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though Archie Marry Me was an always song. So not, not our one. I would never use the name Archie. How come? That's too posh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's another thing too. I, I don't know. It's like, I think people also started thinking that we were kind of maybe like posher than we were because, um, I, I, I think people would be forgiven in thinking we were like from public school and quite like well-to-do posh people. We're really not. We're very like boring kind of lower middle-class, middle-class kind of like state school, just middle of the road boringness. I think we just got very, we were just, I'm, I really, maybe I just watched too many Richard Curtis films. <laughs> Join the club. <laughs> had, yeah, yeah. Just maybe I had too much like Hugh Grant in my ear or something like that. You know, I just I just, just ended up and and I like reading poncy books and stuff. You know, there is kind of a weird aversion to that in our generation to a certain extent, though. In some circles, it feels like that you kind of get looked at as a bit of a dick if you're, I don't know, definitely reading growing something, up yeah. as well. I think in the past it was worse. I think it's getting less bad, maybe. But there was a real like at my school. I remember I got like a lot of flack for having like a posh voice like a lot and I was definitely like gravitated towards I definitely friends with like the I guess like the more I guess the more like working class people at the school like I definitely had a friend group that were from like pretty rough parts of of town and and I think they were always like quite bemused by me and I've actually got that real and I had this I grew up with a I don't know a really strong sense of socialism and very anti-establishment kind of leanings and just I just and I had a big chip on my shoulder about public school people and 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 all this stuff it's funny but then but then in later life for people to assume the complete opposite of me was always just like oh for fuck's sake I didn't get any of the good education and I get all the prejudice (laughs) that was I remember when I grew up in Aberdeenshire used to get the piss taken out of me for not having a particularly strong Scottish accent compared to other people in the area right where are you from Aberdeenshire kind of up in the north right yeah, so is that that's over to the east isn't it yeah northeast but then when i went to edinburgh and all my friends were english i then got the piss taken out of me for having a scottish accent yeah so i can't i can't win <laughs> well you got you got a fairly like neutral understandable scottish accent as some, some of my my friends i've made up up in it's more like glasgow area i suppose like sometimes it's just i need subtitles <laughs> It's because they speak fast as well, though, and they just don't really bother. Really fast and really thick, and there is a like a patois as well. Yeah, is kind of like correct me if I'm wrong, but pretty exclusive to the to, to Glasgow area. I think it's a thing though as well, though, isn't it? People want to be distinguished as being from Glasgow, or whatever. Is that is Glasgow the cool? That's where you're right. Have you got a chip on your shoulder from being <laughs> from near Aberdeen? I feel lucky that I'm from Aberdeen because everybody in Edinburgh hates everybody in Glasgow, and everybody in Glasgow hates everybody in Edinburgh. And I feel kind of Swiss. I've been so far away that nobody gives a fuck, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice, you're on the fence. That's a safe place to be. <laughs> Tell you what, I re- where I really love to go in Scotland is Inverness. Inverness is beautiful. Yeah. So beautiful. And people there, met, made, met some incredible people there. Do you come up here and write quite a lot? Uh, You've been up once a few or twice times, yeah. Done that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just love it. I, I love it in Scotland. I, I, I came up to Glasgow a lot at one point because Max was a an actor and she was she was shooting something in Glasgow so I came up a lot there and then we would we'd play up there a lot too there's some great people I've met there um even even people who are coming to our shows and we go to the like pub near the venue and and there'd be some people who were like hey we're going to come see you later and we're like oh let's have a drink and then ended up seeing them every time we've gone up to Glasgow and just you know I think they were like before Covid started there were vague plans of, of us going on this like big taking a bunch of LSD and going on a big hike <laughs> you know next time we're up there or something um that's an interesting combination yeah well, it's the right combination, I think. As long as it's not in the winter. Yeah, that's true. I think in the summer, though, it's riddled with mosquitoes. That sounds quite stressful. Oh, it? it's a nightmare. Yeah, you've got tons of midges if you go up into the highlands. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what, what the way around that is. A beekeeper outfit. Yeah. Beekeeper, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. 
like a portable bed <laughs> mosquito thingy. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I love it up there. I've only played it in Aberdeen once. Where'd you play? That was, uh, is it the Lemon, lemon tree. tree? Yeah. Yeah. Headliner or support? No, it was, it was a support, it was supporting Prides. That was the only, that was the only time I saw Aberdeen, but it was, it, it, it felt old and cobbled and quite nice. Uh, Grey. I must have seen the nice bit. <laughs> <laughs> what we've spoken about a lot here, you know, with the way that this album has come from a dark yeah. place. Is it possible to be happy and creatively fulfilled at the same time? Well, that's what I'm finding out now, to be honest. Um, I'm in a very, like, wonderful new relationship and very happy. And she's actually a musician as well. And we've been discussing that both because we came both came from quite unhappy places. It's it's almost like I've got this fire underneath me. I've got this sort of, like, the mission at hand is to make sure that I can stay happy and also be creatively successful um i i really i I really love the way this the 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 new material we're making now is shaping up already it feels lovely and yellow and warm and 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 full of positive energy rather than negative energy rather than you know it's not exercising negative energy it's it's exploring positive energy yeah so let's let's wait and see It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 